0: Hello, and welcome to the Armin Show podcast. Science, people, creativity, learning more. We're always branching out into various categories, whether it's physics, neuroscience, economics, and we also have creatives of different types. On this one, what a delightful guest we have. Not only an author, but also a fellow podcast host, co-host of a wonderful show that is very substantial. You may have heard of NPR, National Public Radio, and they have a program called Planet Money and it is about money. Our guest today from such, and also the author of The Bond King, Mary Childs joins us on the show. Mary, welcome to this episode.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: I'm glad to have you on. It is cool, the variety of items you have done and do, and a lot of them gravitate towards around finances, money, and keeping it interesting that way, which is cool. (laughs) Now, before we get into... Your show and also the book. Tell us about how would you describe yourself to a person? What would you want them to know about Mary Childs?
1: Oh man, tough question. Twenty twenty
0: two. Yeah.
1: Um, how would I describe myself as a person? I think I like to think that I am creative. I try to find creative ways to tell stories about things that matter. I try to understand complicated systems. I think that's a big thing that that we do at Planet Money and that this book does. is, you know, try to grasp these these big sprawling things or even a tiny thing that's like sort of the tip of the iceberg. Um, and and try to understand and then communicate those things. So that's kind of my driving force. And I also am a painter. I'm a Sunday painter. I like to um spend my free time now that I have it again. Um just Painting portraits or landscapes or abstract, mostly portraits. Uh, and I think it comes down to a similar impulse of just wanting to understand people and, and connect. So
0: I was going to comment on that one the painting, because that's an interesting quality that is divergent from yeah. let's say finances or straightforward items. It's
1: not every day, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's got a creative background to it. How early did you start painting in some form? Did you start it late? And... No,
1: yeah. Oh, sorry. What was the second part?
0: Would you find yourself the? Would you call yourself a creative person?
1: Um, I think I would. Um, you know, it's it's in my day job, it's finding creative ways to tell a story. In the book, it's finding creative ways to make something that people think is not interesting. Um, to make it interesting to them. Even I know it's interesting. I believe it's interesting, but everyone, um, many people feel this kind of barrier to getting into the more complicated uh, parts of bonds. So, and I get that. Um, And then, yeah, I've been painting basically my whole life or or drawing or um, anything in that kind of bucket. My dad is a painter. So he, you know, he was a banker, but he also painted on the weekends. So uh, we would paint together and that was, very formative. You know, that was a lot of time in my childhood spent um, doing that with him. And yeah, I think it's it's a good balance to the finance stuff. It helps to keep that creativity.
0: It is a good balance. And it's such a informative moment what is brought by parents. They, Their presence there, little things they do mm-hmm. is basically our guiding force. So mm-hmm. something that was a small item from them yeah. to us is like 80% of the world. Yeah. so.
1: No That's pressure as a parent now. But <laughs>
0: <laughs> the pressure's on you, Mary Yeah, right. No, I
1: mean it is, yeah.
0: You make some little comment like, Oh, you did a good left turn on a road and this person in the future right. is always gonna make left turns on right. the road. Right.
1: Twenty five years later they're like I only make <laughs> left turns. Yeah, exactly. That's all I do. Yeah.
0: It's very difficult getting places, but I'm i
1: stuck in that. left turns. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not. We'll see.
0: That's funny. Right influence that one can have. Painting is cool. Creative endeavors. I always like the creative outlets, uh, content, music, and uh, art, uh, writing, all those things, because mm-hmm. I always attach it to, there's more of the person being showcased versus when we go into something that's more procedural and st- standardized, there's less of us. There mm-hmm. can be some elements of creativity in it, but there's not as much like John did this. Mm-hmm. It's more like John was following what's already set up for him in some way.
1: I can see that. I feel like there's, there's a little bit uh, I, I felt a little um, pushback in my head when you were saying that, though, because I feel like it's not, I understand that like the words that I would choose would be from me, like there's, you know, someone else would choose different words. So the creativity in that element absolutely comes from the person writing or the the kind of artiste, if you will. But I think also like to me, it's it's funny because so much of like this book writing process revealed to me how much of writing and communicating is basically mathematical, that I would be working on a page in the book or, you know, telling a scene or describing a person. And I would be like, well, now that's not quite right, is it? I would have a word or a phrase that I was just like, it would get stuck in my head. Like, I don't I don't think that's it. Like, there's something wrong. And because, you know, it it was not quite the right word. It was just adjacent to the right word. And so finding the exact right word to kind of help express all that I'd learned about this person or this story or kind of synthesize all the information that I could in as economic as a form as possible, it, it revealed to me that like, you know, you think that writing is just putting words on a page, you know, that's like the, you know, we sit down and write and it's like this romantic endeavor and it's so far from what I think the truth is, you know, in my, in my writing process, I guess it's very much like stress testing each word and being like, is this the word that I mean, or is this near the word that I mean, you know, is this like the one that came to mind, but it doesn't actually say all the things I mean, or it has another meaning that's not helpful or so, so it's, I understand. Yeah, it's like a creative process, but at the same time, it's it's archaeology. It's digging to get to the exact right word and to reveal the truth.
0: That's interesting. It's like split testing across each paragraph. Which yeah. one's going to translate? Which one's going to represent? Okay, this word needs to be in that place. Yeah, Eminem would do that with his raps. He would be like, "This, I need the." It's like a puzzle. I need to fit See? them in the right place.
1: Exactly. Love Eminem. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's some shared shared. Uh, rhetoric we have there.
1: many things in common, but not all things. Yeah yeah
0: that's funny now that's a good point that you bring up that i don't talk about that enough the creative within the creative if you don't have um skill and discernment and pointing out things are based on probabilities it's it's not just the creative where it's just like hey here Mm -hmm. that that doesn't go well i like (laughs) you brought that up
1: yeah and i'm wondering if that's like If I'm revealing the level of my expertise to some degree, if I'm like really good, if I'm like next level beyond where I am, if it becomes again, more creative, where I know five words that would work instead of just the one that I found, you know what I mean? Like maybe I'm giving myself away here.
0: (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the experts are coming up with three Mm. whenever there's the moment. So they're coming up with like three synonyms. So that's the ideal. We all want to get to that. Right. Three (laughs) synonyms. That's true. (laughs) It's funny. Sometimes the things we say, say where we are. That's funny. Yeah. Sometimes when you have the wrong word, by the way, I've noticed when I was writing and I didn't have the exact words I wanted, it bugged me mm-hmm. until I finally
1: no, pieced right. it together because exactly,
0: it's like off. It's a puzzle it's piece like that you... isn't
1: slotting in right. It's really annoying. And I would like wake up at 2 a.m. or fail to fall asleep and just be like, I think it's not quickly. I think it's suddenly on page 74, you know, whatever it was that was bothering me at that moment. And it was really annoying. It's kind of stopped. It's mostly stopped now, now that the book's out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Next book will happen. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. So details. Detail-orientedness is a big deal. Um, And also uh, thinking about the other person, because that's very much consideration when you're speaking to that level of detail. You could have just put quickly and it's okay and the person passes it by, Right. but the full level of your presentation and expression was not transferred for the person who's taking it in. So that's more consideration.
1: Yeah. That's right.
0: Selflessness, if you will. Something like that. That's cool. That's neat. Now, before we get into the content of the book, I want to go into, I like it, you mentioned that already making stories interesting. And I listened to another talk where you mentioned like, uh, bringing up the, like the upbeat nature of something. Not everything has to be of a, a downer down yeah. form, Yeah, <laughs> which is way more translated in public. Today, I was driving and I passed somebody, I was like, they made a great, like, turn and went out of the way nicely, which not everybody does. I th- almost thought of pulling over and telling them, you did a good job on this part, that was great. Nobody does that, but if they do some odd thing, people will honk and stuff. Yeah. So the negative is amplified and the positive so is true. usually barely. So true,
1: out. I completely agree with that. It's very annoying.
0: I think Gary Vaynerchuk says that too. If you have positive, put it out there because it's not enough people are putting out there. Completely agree. So you're doing that. How challenging is that to take the world as it is and bring the positive form is it very difficult? Is it easier after a period of time? Oof. Is it staying hard?
1: Yeah, it's hard. Um, and I want to be clear; like, it's not that we like look for positive stories right. so much as like so much as like we look for things. You know, I am talking about Planet Money's kind of story ideation process here. Um, we we try to find things where we know that we can explain something that isn't immediately clear where there's going to be some element of like you learn something you come away from it understanding the world a little bit better than when you started and that's really the goal for me at least and so it's not so much like if if the story is a downer it's a downer like sometimes things are just really big bummers and like but what I find a lot of times is like the news stories that that you're bummed out about are like single beat stories a bad thing is happening to either a certain group of people all people to, to whoever and that's the kind of the end and like it's good to it's important it's critical to know about those things so that we can know how to stop hurting other people. But I think the the thing that the function that we serve at Planet Money at least in my mind is to kind of it needs to be kind of multiple beats where you're like lost and where where the the explanation isn't obvious to something. There need to be like multiple, you know, bad thing is happening. Okay, why? What led us here? How did we get here? Like what are the mechanics that give rise to this bad thing? And, you know, that way, if we like examine the problems and the mechanisms that delivered us here, then we can at least do better next time or build better systems or something, you know, um, whereas, you know, and so that's not like a pos- necessarily a positive story, but the frame is at least constructive to me. There's going to be, you know, you have the delight of learning, you have something that like tickles your brain in a way and. Um, And again, sometimes, exactly, even if it's a downer story, even if you're learning about something that's a major bummer, like you still will come away having been like, oh, well, I didn't know that. And like being able to go back out into the world, better informed, better equipped, better, you know, fluent in, in the language of whatever system. Um, So that's, you know, yes, it's, it's maybe the, maybe the better frame is constructive, you know, like we, we aim to, to be like edifying in that way.
0: I've spoken about this theme before related to that, where uh, things that are, we'll call it negatives or, um, downers, hard hits, we can call it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can learn a little bit, but they're not things to attach to because there's nothing to take away. It's not like a point of like, I want these to be the foundation of my existence. Nobody does that. Yeah. So giving them that weight is not fitting. Whereas giving the weight to items where like, well, can we work from to build on, If part of a building at the beginning like crunched and something the foundation messed up, we wouldn't like say okay, we're leaving that there and we're gonna work. We'd be like, no, no, we need this thing to be a proper thing. Fix, 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 and then what can we build on? You can't build on the negatives. There's nowhere to go from
1: that. Yeah, or just the single fact. And oftentimes this comes up in things that are just like so intractable, or things that we've given up on, right? Like things that we as a society have just abruptly or or existentially decided that we're just not going to work on it. Like we're just comfortable as a society with a degree of gun violence. And there are plenty of things that we could do about it. And we're just choosing not to do those things. And it's like, you can hear every time you hear about these horrible senseless tragedies, you know, the the impulse is like, what can we do about it? And sometimes you despair in the fact that there's not much that the country is willing to do about it so um in a sad place just got us to a really sad place let's back out of here <laughs> Ooh, deep, deep. i don't want to oh yeah. my
0: gosh balloons balloons yeah balloons. anyway balloons
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's,
0: that's true but that's part of reality true i can't disregard reality one thing i have to point out there i noticed there I know there's details that uh, people don't pay attention to, but intractable and edifying vocabulary on great points. When did your vocabulary become, uh, what would you say is the moments that you uh, acquired the most? Uh, when
1: did I get the most words?
0: Vocabulary. <laughs> yeah.
1: Childhood. When was that period? I don't know. I My oh. mom recently told me a story that whenever I was like misbehaving in some way and she needed to like get me to stop whatever I was doing, she would just use a big word and I would be like, what does that mean (laughs) and like stop whatever i was doing just because i was like tell me what that word is so that um i don't know how long she did that trick it's possible she still does it but (laughs) yeah
0: that's pretty funny yeah doing something wrong you're grandiloquent
1: (laughs) sorry what exactly Uh, it just shuts you know you got to take a pause and think about it
0: i need a dictionary that's pretty good i always think to myself that a lot is learned early on or pushed for early on uh we don't makes, I feel like substantial changes such later in life mm-hmm. to our, uh, the way we think or
1: uh, 80% of brain development growth. is before age three.
0: There you go. Right there. That's pretty cool. Now on the planet money podcast, um, can you tell us like a couple of topics uh, you've covered that come to mind and why you would choose them. Hmm. What kind of topics you uh, would like to choose, or yeah? Or have um,
1: trouble. Let me think. So one that I was uh, that I did kind of you know was I think it was my first story that I did from the kind of kernel of an idea to execution, um, as opposed to like you know hitching my wagon to my co-host star and like going with them on their episode. Um, you went full form, yeah. My my own like little baby episode. One was um, about J Crew and the private equity takeover. Um, and how it yielded this kind of what I call a trapdoor two-step. And now that I've started calling it that, I can't remember what anyone else calls it, (laughs) IP transfer. Um, Anyway, the trapdoor two-step, which is in this episode called Jay Screwed. And I was really proud of that. You know, that was kind of a, it can be hard to make financey, pure finance stories kind of cross the border into the realm of like real world. Because a lot of the time it's just like, oh, hedge fund got in fight with other hedge fund. One made more money. And you're like, this has no impact on me in my life. But in J Crew, it had a very tangible real-world impact. There was like a private equity buyout and it changed the materials that they were using. And anyway, so that was very fun. And the impulse there was, it's an enormous trend, I guess, or was it, in credit markets to do these IP transfers. And it kind of signaled something about what we allow, what we're like tolerant of in uh, in credit markets. And it was just this like big thing that was happening. And I had just come directly from a finance world you know, of coverage where I was so focused on those things and kind of confused about how to tell those stories at Planet Money because it is a bit of a different lens. It's a different approach and you do need that real world kind of tangibility. And so this one, I was really proud to to be able to find a fun and you know communicative – like I managed to get all of my lessons across that I wanted to almost. It's very hard. You can't really get as much as you would think in 20 minutes. You're like, oh, that's so much time. It's not. It's no time at all, <laughs> as you know. But yeah. that was probably that was when I was really proud of, and then another one. I mean, I can just go on and on about how great my work is. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> we did one about um, I was proud that of was our great... yeah right, and this Shout is the full hour times, like. of me talking about how great my existing podcasts are. Um, I was proud of the show we did about the ports, the backlog at the ports, because it was oh. kind of again we like zoomed into various like exact like real physical problems that were that the ports were having that helped to yield the large snarls that we saw. And um, I think I'm going to end on an episode called Patent Racism about the work of Dr. Lisa Cook, who's now on the uh, Fed board, about basically her experience researching racism in economics, in patent innovation, actually, and then her experience with racism trying to get that paper published. Um, And that was, you know, it was a hard episode because it was for a number of reasons. But, you know, she had these like extremely um economics phd level like formulas to express some of the stuff and we were like i i was like i can't i can't read that unfortunately like i have no idea what this says but i, I understand the story i know what happened here um after you know after she walked us through it and, and was generous enough to tell us the whole story so
0: it has to to be presented in a way for the person which the second story you mentioned made me think of that the the backlog at the ports was very Visual, people could imagine it, mm-hmm. it was obvious. Like uh, you think about the supply chain, you actually see the ships, whatever it might be, and you're able to uh, connect it. Whereas if it's some sort of money transfer item in the background, it's hard mm-hmm. to like-
1: Harder to visualize, harder to wrap your head around, totally.
0: There's just bits going over there and then yeah. this happened and then this person's over there now. Yeah. Yeah. The human component, we always want to connect with the human component. Totally. That's cool. And also I like the, when you said you did it the one full on, on yours, those are the ones I feel like in life we remember in great detail. Whereas if I do something where I, I jump in and somebody else had done fifty percent before <laughs> it wasn't my full right, idea right, or whatever.
1: Right.
0: It's less of me. How am I gonna add not keep your heart my own yeah. memories? Yeah. But if it was full me, the whole wait, Mary Child, Mary Child, Mary Right, child. Then, then I'm like then I did this. Yeah. And you and if you wanted to do that in the future, you could assess anybody you delegated it to along the way because you know all the steps of the process. Versus if you didn't, then you delegate it, they do something. I guess that was good. I don't know, because you haven't been in that.
1: Right.
0: There's something nice about being part of the full the full process. Definitely,
1: but it's also exhausting.
0: <laughs> now, behind you, we have, similar to what I have here, I have a book. You have a wonderful presentational a, a poster, item. Yes. Thank you to poster. Boston
1: Books in Charleston, South Carolina. <laughs>
0: Buxton Books, Alliteration, also Bonds. So Buxton
1: Books and Bonds. That's right.
0: So we got... I bought with Buxton B. Books. Where's it, by the way? Where's Buxton Books?
1: Uh, Charleston, South Carolina.
0: Oh, cool. Wonderful. And both for the listeners, by the way, I'm in Los Angeles, and you are in Virginia. Virginia. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Long live interconnection across the <laughs> planet. Yes. Now, The Bond King, How One Man Made a Market, Built an Empire, and Lost It All. Uh, Mr. Gross, can you tell us about Mr. Gross and... Why it was chosen, your connection with the field, and why in the first place at all?
1: Yeah. So um, I was covering the bond market, the, crepit, uh, the corporate credit, sorry, the credit bond market, um, corporate bonds, credit default swaps, that kind of stuff in 2000. Gosh, what year did I start? 10? Um, and then I, uh, and I just like loved it. I had so much fun learning about CDS and bonds and writing these stories that were, you know, very attuned to the dynamics of the market. We wrote so many stories on our team and we were all aware of what the other was doing and just like an incredibly productive team that, you know, we knew every single thing that happened in the bond market. Pretty much. It was great. Um, I miss that kind of exhaustive knowledge. It was really lovely. Um, it's exhausting, but it was great. So then, Deep work. Yeah, exactly. So when I was in that job, I kept running into PIMCO in my kind of normal daily coverage because um, they're just enormous um, players in the credit default swap and obviously corporate bond market. And at some point, the job to cover PIMCO full time, along with, um, I think, five at the other at the time, five other asset managers came available and I was like, oh, this sounds like a great opportunity. Pimco's enormous. This would be a great job. It was like high profile, you know, it's a good next step, blah, blah, blah. So I did it. and. Um, I joined in April 2014. Now, 2014, as you may know if you've read the book, um, was a very tumultuous time in PIMCO's history, and the CEO had departed, I know, yeah, exactly, very tumultuous, in January 2014 unexpectedly. So I arrived in April 2014, you know, there have been all these articles about, like, the tumult at the top, all the kind of fractious interactions and... um, just, just not a good time. And I was like, Oh, bummer that I missed all of that. You know, like I arrived after that was happening and I felt like would have I have wanted
0: to be there. For yeah. That. I
1: would have wanted, you know, as a journalist, you want to be on the big stories. I was like, it's kind of uncool that I arrived after everything happened, but um, you know, I'll find something to say. And I also covered BlackRock, which is enormous. And um, you know, it was, it was still a good job, but I was just a little bit um, bummed. And then of course, as we know now, the fireworks were yet to come. It was September when the co-founder of the company, Bill Gross, the last remaining founder at the firm, and this true legend in the bond market, um, he left his own firm. And it was a huge shock across financial markets. People thought it was going to kind of upend the financial system at one point. And um, I basically looked around and I was like, not only has there been, you know, kind of this this weird hole in the market in the kind of book offerings of, of you know, Pimco and other bond shops, even are so enormously important in the system. And we, the, I think the last great bond book was Michael Lewis's. So I was like, you know, what, where are we on this? Why is this the case? And I think to some extent, it's yeah, it's a huge gap. And I think to some extent, it's, it's, it is that thing about, you know, bonds are boring, bonds are complicated. There's this sense that there's a, um, a canyon between us and our ability to understand these things between us and the bond world. And I, you know, it's, <laughs> it uh it's talking my book to say that I think that that's unproductive and silly and also like constructed and not true. Like bonds aren't boring. Bonds are fun. Um, but yeah, so it, it just seemed to me that that there was this enormous gap in the market. This big, big dramatic thing had just happened that was full of pathos and intrigue. And like, you know, Bill Gross, this living legend, had been in the media for decades. And he's remarkably and unusually reflective. So he'd had kind of decades to say what he was thinking about himself and the world in public for, you know, ages. So it, I had so much material to work with that even if not one single person from PIMCO talks to me, I would have had enough to, to make a book. And then I talked to a lot of people from him go and made made more of the book so
0: a couple of things come to mind there one of them is it is weird after seeing the book it's almost like how is there not that beforehand so I know, that's right? a real thank you
1: I love that <laughs> I... that came through good
0: yeah. I, look, I almost wanted to look back like there's not another book called The Bond
1: King. Okay, so like, technically, the yes, was... there is a book called The Bond King uh, by Tim Middleton in, I want to say, 2003. But I would argue that that book came before PIMCO became what they became. You know what I mean? Like, PIMCO really stepped into the kind of uh, epicenter of our financial markets in 2008 or it was, I guess were revealed to be at the epicenter of our financial markets and like hit their maximum influence at that time. Their assets doubled after the great financial, you know, there are a lot of reasons why that book at best needed updating. So it existed, but it just wasn't the kind of book that I needed or wanted. And and it's not, it, I think it's pretty dissimilar to the book that I wrote.
0: It's like if there was a book in 1970 that said artificial intelligence is here right. and nobody wrote a book until now that right. kind of talked about, we've done a little bit.
1: Yeah, we've done a little exactly. Bit. Things are a little different. Yeah.
0: They're a little different right now. One other item. It was interesting. Same time I'm reading this, the convenience of it. I almost, I think I saw it maybe the same day or the day before. Either way, nearby. I went to Newport Beach because sometimes I go different places and I'm in Los Angeles. And then I was like, I go to that area near where it was described in the book that it's there. I'm like, oh. And then I see a building, Pacific Insurance building. I'm thinking to myself. Yeah. There it is. This story is is connected to that. Things have happened in this building that you wouldn't know otherwise (laughs) because in these buildings, you don't know what's going on. People don't tell you. Separately. Yeah.
1: Cause most of the time it's it is just, just kind of quotidian and mundane, but sometimes big things happen.
0: Right. The amount of like, there's films of different items or uh, money dealings that have happened in past decades. And then you realize, Oh, okay. in that building I passed, there was like 50 floors, 34th floor. Things were happening. <laughs> we would never know. Right. You just see windows. But behind there was like, okay, we got to transfer these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nobody finds us. Okay, can hide for like two years. <laughs> it's very funny to me. Yeah. Um, how would you describe I noticed his personality qualities. I always know uh, I take into account personality qualities. Mm-hmm. How would you describe his uh leadership role? Uh there's a lot of let's say drama mm-hmm. the way yeah he uh, drama, causes yeah. things to occur. Yeah. How would you describe his um presentation or his personality?
1: Oh, it's a multi-layered answer. Um I think okay, so he's actually fundamentally a very shy and introverted person and insecure person. Um I would say paranoid in the not medical use. <laughs> and and I think, like, as a young upstart that read one way, you know, his, his co-workers and co-founders of the firm, you know, they were peers. They all worked really hard. They were very intense. All of them, they kind of respected the kind of head-down Approach, uh, you know, Bill Gross wanted to be trading, wanted to be focused on the markets. He's very good at hyper focusing and absorbing information, and he loves trading. Like he's a a very good trader and investor. You know, those are kind of distinct things. And I think like that sense over the years shifted as Pimco's influence grew and Bill kind of grew in stature which was by his own design to some extent. You know, he wanted to be famous and he certainly helped make himself famous. But he's this Bond legend. And I think his personality um, of being so intense and so shy and so hyper-focused and fundamentally uninterested in like random human connection, like he's just not the kind of person who wants to like bump into you at a coffee shop and strike up a conversation. Like I just, that's just generally not going to happen. That's not really what he wants to be doing. So I think... In the kind of later years of his career, that insecurity, that shyness, that introversion all got read differently. And his managerial style was the same that it had been in the 70s and 80s when people were kind of his peers and read him differently, which is kind of hyper direct to the point, kind of brutal sometimes. And he's also a little – is the word mercurial? Like there's a, there's a variability to him and a volatility to his interactions and what he cares about in a given moment and like – what he'll let slide. And it differs from person to person and it differs from day to day. But, um, you know, true of all of us, like whether or not I got a good night's sleep or whatever. Um, I think that his management style was never warm and fuzzy. And suddenly in 2014, you know, he got hyper-focused on some things that were unproductive, that were beyond his control, and he kept trying to control them. And the combination just kind of turned into this very combustible situation that eventually led to disaster. Did that answer your question? I feel like that was meandering.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and also new vocabulary for the people to, if they don't know, mercurial.
1: (laughs) Let me go, I want to make sure that's the exact right word per our discussion.
0: That's funny. Uh, Good old mercurial, meaning subject to sudden or unpredictable changes of mood or mind.
1: Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah.
0: I think that's in the right category. Yeah. Yeah. Is it common that, I've noticed this theme, uh, like introverted. And then, kind of, yeah, ending up to be hyper focused on uh, some things. Yeah, is like a leading figure kind of persona that shows up a lot.
1: I think that's right, and um, it's relevant too to just add that he got a late in life diagnosis as being Asper as having Asperger syndrome, as being on the spectrum. So you know those things kind of fall into a greater context when you when you have that diagnosis. And there are a lot of other major business leaders and billionaires who have similar situations who are also diagnosed or not, but who do the same kind of hyper focus, who are not interested in the kind of niceties that maybe the rest of society is that just don't find that interesting and don't maybe interact, like aren't as comfortable in those situations and in really social situations. So, you know certainly trade-offs, but Bill Gross has spoken about his Asperger's diagnosis as being kind of a superpower in his view that it enabled him to, to hyper-focus in this way and to to kind of eschew the more, like, don- like he's not going to go to a party that's going to waste his time. Like, I'm going to go to the party. And in the meantime, I'm not founding PIMCO. You know what I mean? Like, there there's a trade-off, yeah.
0: I like to bring up that point. Yes, there's an understanding of that. Like, the, maybe it's a person who they would have liked uh, word searches, big time, and uh, other person would have been like, "This is they uh, Right? Their focus on words or something was yeah. so uh, engrossing. The other person would be like, "I need to be in uh, some uh, public sport or some game with people or something." Mm-hmm. It's a different preference, totally. But then those individuals usually are the ones that set the because they're so hyper focused on something. They might look uh, uh, varied or odd for uh, sometimes yeah. individuals, but they can get somewhere. Whereas the other person, that's more casual and things are nice.
1: Not going to arrive at the same destination. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Difference is a little bit. That's kind of cool. Now, if you would describe it, the bond market, uh, very, we're we're calling it exciting now. It is now exciting. Thank you. The bond market is very exciting. It is. Unfortunately,
1: exciting right now.
0: Right. Uh, How did he, I noticed like he, he basically saw, as you saw a gap with the book, he saw a gap in the field (laughs) and he said, Right. Similar. That's the only way to do something great. You have to see something that's like, oh, yes. that's for me. Our and achievements are speak equal. I think.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> By the way, our our, our listeners, everybody is uh, liking Mary Child's Light Nature. It is award winning. <laughs> it's, it's a good call. It's just I notice these things. I'm very personality oriented, so I, I point out these things. Mm. Sometimes I feel like I have to point out ten times as many things to make up for the other ten people that wouldn't point out anything. I like for that. A long time. It's good
1: to have an edge. So it's like
0: we have to bring our part. He was like, um, how would you describe how he took a market that um, seems very straightforward and we're getting this amount to mm-hmm. set aside for this and he turned it into like almost like a competitive item. Mm-hmm. We have to actually make profits from here.
1: Totally. So, yeah, as you say, you know, the bond market when he started his career was a very buttoned up, boring part of the world where insurance companies and others would uh, buy bonds, would kind of allow companies to issue bonds by giving them money, you know, lending them money, and they would put those bonds in the vault. And those those bonds had like literal coupons at the bottom that you could tear off. Like Dan Smith will teach you guitar, but here, tear this off and mail it in for an interest payment. So, you know, you lend the money out and then you send in the little coupons for a little in, little payments periodically. And then at the end, you get your money back. And this was very stable, you know, that you could kind of like like you could align your uh, expected return of your money and the expected interest payments against the expected payouts that you knew that at some point you would need to make. So as an insurance company, you do a lot of actuarial work, right? Like That's very fundamental to being a life insurance company. And you know with some certainty when you will need to pay money out. And so lining those up was really nice. It was reassuring. It was very stable. And when Bill Gross came along, inflation was very high, and he could see the argument for why it made more sense to sell old bonds that were just eroding in value in the vault and buy new bonds that you know maybe had higher yields to them or whatever. And his boss was like, eh, whatever, sure, fine. Gave him $5 million to play with, and the rest is history in my book. So <laughs> basically, he really really took this opportunity and ran with it and ended up being the best bond investor um in in modern bond history which is all of you know bond active bond trading history so yeah he he really found his niche and and you know as a result we have this like very vibrant bond market that is um you know not dissimilar to the stock market in the way it trades right you know you you want to make profits like you say and there's a very strong argument to be made that like this is not maybe the optimal way to have you know especially a government bond market like it feels a little bit wild to have this world built on such unstable you know our entire government funding is more is you know built on such unstable ground that that such a large portion of how we fund ourselves as a society is on the whim of um a bunch of private investors maybe that's the story of humanity but <laughs>
0: <laughs> under yeah I, the looking at that bigger picture Does it seem like in a way he was a necessary item to uh, agitate that market such that it would showcase it's just also a market versus if you leave things be as a dull and dormant thing that just happened, it's almost like if somebody comes by and always takes your potatoes every two weeks and leaves and you just got used to it and you never like challenge like, Hey, why don't you give me onions back or something like you you're not testing the market or pushing against it? My funny example. But in his way, there's just uh, kind of this default, like I expect these returns and that. And he went into it like, I'm going to test the market nature of this market, kind of push against it.
1: You know, I used to think, this is a sideways answer to your question. In like, we like sideways 2010 there. or something, I think I thought that like, if we didn't have a Kanye West doing Kanye, what Kanye West was doing, there would be another Kanye West doing similar things. That there was sort of a zany outspoken artist role like genius whatever role and like someone would fill it and I I think I proved this theory to myself with like Amy Winehouse tragically died that was horrible and like she's irreplaceable but at the same time her style of singing like Adele kind of filled the same niche and um I no longer believe this (laughs) like I don't think that's right at all Kanye West has first of all proved me wrong in the Kanye West format like Absolutely, there's there that that's a unique individual. So it's kind of the like, do you believe in individuals actually affecting large change? And I think I do now. <laughs> I think before I thought it was, you know, someone will be the best, someone will crest, and it it just almost doesn't matter who that is. And now I think it matters. And that's not to say that someone else wouldn't have disrupted the bond market because I think the time was was then. Um, you know, obviously Bill Gross couldn't have. Created active bond trading by himself. Um, necessarily, you must trade with someone else. So there were other people across the country who were trading with him. You know, uh, most notably Howard Rakoff, who was kind of, in my view, the evangelist who helped to um, catalyze the bond market by by going around and and getting people on board um, and and enlisting them to trade with him. So I think. I think the bond market, you know, there's no counterfactual, there's no way to know what would have happened in a world without Bill Gross. But I do think that the way that the bond market is shaped is in large part attributable to Bill Gross. I think it's, you know, he's incredibly aggressive, incredibly like uh, boundary pushing, like all of these these personality traits that you see across finance. Yeah, there are other people that have those, but I think that he helped to Push in certain areas that helps to encourage people to follow him he helps to kind of delineate the boundaries of what's acceptable behavior and people followed him so there are a, a whole bunch of ways in which i think that he like w- we're living in the world that he created and and kind of play acting you know various versions of him and, and his own behaviors
0: i have to say the early part where you were describing that about the individualism I came to that same place at some point. So when you were saying it, automatically I started shaking my head too. Who was your Kanye? So my Kanye was (laughs) me because I'm a genius. But I would say, Uh, but I will, but like, uh, for example, there's one rapper guy in our, he was in uh, Los Angeles. Do you know Nipsey household? The rapper guy. Rest in peace. So great. And I thought to myself, that's it. When he's gone and that local community that supported him, it's three years, four years later, there's nobody that set up shop and built a new shopping center there and started different businesses and was for the community. That's it. Like you just know, but, but if you talked to me 15 years ago, I would have thought exactly what you were saying. Like person goes and then there's translations of it with others that the pieces are there pretty much enough where it's fulfilled. I don't think so. Maybe it's a
1: question of, sorry to interrupt. Maybe it's like age, like maybe we were young and we thought that because I think like to some extent too. now I'm like, now that I've done a hard thing, I wrote this book and it took like everything. Yeah, thank you. Like I realized <laughs> one how one of the number 1 books yeah.
0: in my hands right now.
1: Yes. Um like how much effort every single thing takes and how difficult it is even to get like a Kanye West doesn't just arrive. Doesn't just, you know, like even if he weren't the musical genius and and like verbal genius that he obviously is. Like just to get to it just doesn't it doesn't just happen like these things are not organic these things are incredible grit and hustle and and terrible hard work and like uh every single building that you see is the result of a bananas amount of work like every single thing is a result of a bananas amount of work not every single thing but like most of them so i think maybe we aged and learned more that's my theory
0: i think we saw examples where it was not that. And we wait around and we're like, like oh, oh,
1: that could have gone a different way.
0: I guess, yeah. There's like a, a gap. If, if they're there, it's there. When they're gone, there's not like a Kobe Bryant person now. They kind of talked about him and there's things around him, but there's nobody that's like, that's super disciplined, like uh, yeah. hard hitting. Or nothing. like in the they're same way that not... my book
1: didn't just exist without me. Like I did it. And like that, that's because everyone else maybe decided it wasn't worth writing or didn't want to or whatever. The reason may be, but like, To some extent, this, you know, I should be fungible. I should be replaceable in the same way, um, you know, Kanye and I, again, have different skills, but, um, but like, it's the same idea where I think by making my own product, my own thing that is not, you know as it that that was hard to do that took me many many years to do maybe it is in in doing that that i learned just how difficult and maybe it's like a jaded thing with like we're looking at politicians and thinking about how replaceable they are or something i'm and and i think in that same instance it's not it's also not true like we see the the kind of dispersion between individual actors and how they would have handled different situations you know what i mean
0: I think on that politician category, if we look at places where it's more like representatives and or speakers, even though they do have their individualism, it's less of them. It's kind of like what I was talking about earlier. If it's all you, you remember clearly they might be more their constituents and people influencing them. And it's not as much of John actually or Alice actually voicing them. So that is more interchangeable versus like Adele, who's like, I'm Adele and this is what I'm representing. Right. and it's not because Mike told me I had to right. or somebody told me. And also the book, I have to go back to the book concept. I look at that in uh, in very Im- important numbers because I think about like books, right? It, it's not a small thing. I've mentioned this a few times to come out with an actual book, which by the way, always has wonderful uh, end notes and items. By the way, your chapter titles entertaining always. But the endnotes and organized and the research it's not small or else every one of my neighbors would casually have a book. They don't. And also it's in the nonfiction category, which I know, like, here, if here's all people. This is the way I call it. Here's all people. And then here's the people that read somewhat regularly. It's already small group. Mm-hmm. Then of that group, if I expand it out, this whole group is uh, more fiction and fanciful, which is great. But then that leaves nonfiction then you take out like textbooks and things that are required. The actual small category of nonfiction for informative purposes for the person reading that's applicable to recent time is super small. And, (laughs) and then (laughs) it's like so small. And to do that requires internal, nobody could, if I told you and you didn't want to write about a topic and I said, uh, come up with this book it would be such a, Oh my God. The difficulty of that (laughs) would be substantial. Thank you. So if you take that same difficulty and you apply it to the thing you were interested in, obviously the, the passion applies and got to that point. But if you told me to write about bond market, what a stretch it would be. It would be such a reaching. So
1: thank you. That's the
0: value. Definitely. I'm so glad yeah. that you
1: find yeah. it valuable. That, that truly means so much to me because it was just a enormous amount of work and it, um, At times I was like, is anybody going to read this? Like, is this actually, you know, because you have these kind of um, crises of faith where I I was writing a book about bonds at a time when people only wanted, you know, Me Too stories or only wanted, you know, various other um, kind of, you know, and all anybody wanted for years were books about politics. And I just simply don't write about politics. And so it was kind of looking at that landscape. I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) But... It's, I'm, it's very gratifying to hear that. Thank you.
0: This is a very big deal, by the way, what you're saying here for self-fulfillment. There will be at any period of time, some huge impetus to do X, Y, and Z, which are the current moment, or we would all support you or hmm, whatever right. it sounds like nice. And then there's you and your interest, skills, and abilities. If you disregard this and go in this direction, five years later, the trend is gone. The people with their support is gone and you don't have the thing you cared about. Right. It's like you look back like who was this you go to sleep at night, who was it? I don't even know who it was for. Right.
1: Oh my god, that hurts. But, yeah. Her, Another thing right? I learned from watching Kanye West is you gotta go your own way. You gotta just and I can't um endorse necessarily all of, it's it's um I I mean old Kanye. Sorry to I should probably <laughs> let this thread go. It just gets so problematic. I apologize for this.
0: No apologizing. The messages are great. There's a lot of uh things I take from it like uh, you know, uh, towards yourself individualism you have to be bold we, we don't even have time to not be bold is one of my themes in life i've, I've mentioned this many I times feel like but that's
1: right
0: let's say you skip being bold three four five times you didn't have that time you, now that you're in like luxury territory yeah. where you're like right. i will have 500 years or something yeah but that's not that's not the way it works we have to be uh bold in our in our maneuvers of sorts one thing that came to mind uh from let's say someone was this is more like a general finance category if someone was not uh, too aware of the finance world, mm-hmm. bonds and stocks and hedge funds, what would you think they were most missing as a general person? Tough questions. Ooh, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, most missing. They're missing a lot. There's a lot. Um, so much of the money that comes from these industries does fuel our political landscape. And I think that, that understanding the interaction between economic incentives and our financial markets and the businesses they're in you know in and around i i think that those interactions are crucially important and frankly poorly understood we've done so much work like we as a society i think are are much more aware now of of kind of the implications of citizen united and and other things but i do think that uh, knowing where money is coming from and where it's going <laughs> is crucially important to being a an active participant in your own society and you know that you're not going to learn everything from my book about that. That's a lot of books, but I think that, you know, the it's, it's a shame to think of it this way, but like, and maybe my brain is broken, but like looking at the political landscape, I do see so much like economic actor stuff. Like we, we respond to incentives and they respond to incentives and, um, and trying to grasp all of that and, 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 you know, classically follow the money. Um, it's my job as a journalist, but I think it's everyone's job as a citizen and and a participant in a society.
0: The, uh, topic of money, how early in your existence did you approach it and, uh, connect with it? Like, this is a category of interest of
1: mine. Hmm. Yeah. So I, Tried to be a political reporter for like three months. I interned at a um like a political newspaper, in oh my gosh, I can't even remember what year it was. But I was really bad at it. In part, I I like noticed that my colleagues were like tracking Senate races and Congress, like small congressional races in various states, and I was like, oh, I don't know anything about that. And like, I wasn't spending my free time like looking at that, and which I think is indicative and something to keep an eye like how you spend your free time, like what you do with it. And then, and I was just like bad at it. And I didn't understand like some guy's thought is a scoop. Like a guy had a thought and I'm supposed to like write that down and it's news. Like that seems really bananas to me. And then trying to like confirm that, how do you confirm? So when I discovered that business journalism had like Bloomberg terminals and Yahoo Finance and various other ways that you can like type the numbers in and like see a line on a screen that tells you like if your source is lying to you or at least to what degree you know it provided a way to kind of be to to be more independent from my sources that and i felt like that was necessary at least for my understanding and maybe that speaks to my level of um experience at the time but i was just i just never understood political reporting and in financial reporting you know i i felt like i could more cleanly like crunch the numbers myself and figure out trends to some extent myself, or at least provide some degree of accountability for my sources or degree of like verification of what they're saying. So that was really it. And then also like, it's a more durable or resilient part of the journalism landscape, which very unfortunately for every participant in society, whether or not they agree, um, in my view, like that's been super deleterious, um, and, and kind of horrible that, that the industry has fallen apart in the way that it did. But business journalism has held up better because people are more willing to pay for it. Businesses are more willing to pay for it. Traders are willing to pay for it. So uh, to some extent, it was my own economic situation that led me to be a business journalism journalist because I um, couldn't really afford to, to get laid off. Not that anyone can. Necessity. But...
0: Right. But <laughs> <laughs> still like a necessity. Yeah. It's not it. like a vanity project.
1: Yeah. It's a job. And I needed right. it to keep
0: going. I like that you mentioned that the things that you do in the background or on your off time are quite indicative. It says a lot if you are doing X, Y, and Z, yeah. but then, you're like, oh, let me take a break. And you, like, check these three things about, right. like, anime and Japan. Right. So now you're like, uh, maybe you should be focusing on that.
1: Yeah.
0: Your passion is actually there. What is, I, I want to check uh, two things related to the book. What is a, uh, challenge or difficulty? Well, first, what what is the challenge or difficulty you had in writing the book? Were there anything that came about where you're like, I'm stuck? Oh my god! Yes, the whole time.
1: That? Um, a lot <laughs> of people um obfuscated or or didn't want to talk to me and stonewalled or told me a version of events that I couldn't square with other people's versions or people didn't remember or people died or you know just all kinds of um you know ways in which the the truth was difficult to get to and that was probably probably the obfuscation and kind of i think people thought i would give up on the project um and so they
0: she doesn't give up everybody so yeah. thought that You're wrong
1: but i think people thought they could like run out the clock and a lot of people didn't want to like give me the narrative they wanted me to like come to them with my fact check questions but they also wanted me to know the things So that then I would, you know, they wanted things to be in the book, but then they didn't want to be the one to tell me. So they wanted me to, like, learn that they already know the thing somehow, even though that's not possible. So that's frustrating. I feel like there was, like, kind of a, you know, that's that's a degree of, like, journalism illiteracy where it's, like, that's not really, like, you have to engage in the process if you want to, like, at all inform the process. So um, that was frustrating. Uh, Yeah, I, I just dealt with a lot of people that did not have... Uh, a lot of experience not controlling a situation. You know, they're they're used to employing people to do stuff for them and they're not used to people not cooperating. And um, this was not, you know, the authorized biography. I should say Bill Gross was like least among them. He was so chill um, about giving me time, giving me access, giving me his thoughts. He was very nice about it. Um, And I think that that was like a little bit of a surprise because I marched into this with a lot of naivete and thinking like everyone will want to talk to me and thinking, I know it's so funny in retrospect. And I was like, oh, even if they don't, you don't have all all this stuff to work with. And like, yeah, but you want to write the the best book, you know, you want to do the work and, and make it be a good, a good product with every single twist and turn and all the drama that possibly could have happened. And it kind of agitates me even now being like, did I get all of it? (laughs) Like, did i get every you know that i went if there was more yeah or like there'll be an anecdote from like the 70s or 80s that like didn't make it in and i'm like "Mm. (sighs) next time
0: no anecdote by the way i have a a kanye west link to something you just mentioned the way that you described individuals wanting you to have the material for your book Mm -hmm. but not wanting to be the person to reveal it's not that different from how he said that if someone that he works with uh, asks to deal with him and he gives them advice, but doesn't write them a check, like an actual investment to their thing. He's sunning them. I think is the term that he used, which is like not the great deal because it's like, you go figure out how to get the investment. And here's some words. Whereas uh, if I'm not writing the actual check for mm-hmm. you, I can't be uh, talking too much. If I have it about how you should go and find it. Cause I have it. It's sort of like, you go do it, but you're not probably going to be able to do it. Otherwise, So what am I? It's a weird thing.
1: Mm. Yeah. So then you have to Somewhere kind of push between. on those individuals. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to go read more about that. that I wasn't familiar with that <laughs> part of the Kanye lore. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I watch a lot of interviews of different uh, like interviews and whatnot. What would you say is uh, a takeaway you would want an individual to take away from your book? Uh, whether it's a sense of the bond markets or something to understand about... A company buildup and changes?
1: Uh, the thing that I grapple with a lot in thinking about this book, and I think Bill Gross has grappled with it too, is basically how do you know when you've lost your touch or when you should leave? And part of Bill Gross's massive success in building this outperformance over decades, over the bond market and over his peers, part of that success was by having a strategy and sticking to it and part of his success too was being you know this eccentric mediagenic guy always being on bloomberg radio always being on tv like so when that stopped working in 2014 the question is like how how like he wasn't necessarily doing stuff that different at the time right in his view maybe and you know if it's worked for 40 years like what's why why would it stop how do you know when it stopped working so i think like both from an investment standpoint, how how would he know that the market turned in his like, you know, I guess, you know, now that the interest rate paradigm has changed. But like there were pockets of time where it did, but it was still this like steady march. So like when do you maneuver and like reorient and renavigate versus sticking with your strategy because, you know, it's a good strategy and it's going to deliver outperformance over time. Um, and I mean that, too, from like a personal perspective, you know, like how do you know? when to like loosen your grip and like, Hey, maybe that facet of your personality isn't serving you. Maybe that as a friend put it many years ago, maybe that narrative about yourself isn't serving you. So the ability to remain steadfast and hold on to the things that you think are important and the strategies that you bring to the table, like balanced with knowing when to step back, when to loosen your grip, when to change things. Like I, that kind of is like, it's maybe not a takeaway so much as a mystery in the book. Um, Cause I don't think I've really arrived at an answer.
0: It's a super challenging one. You see it in people's careers, some overstepped it some uh, too early. And then they like regret and they try to mm-hmm. catch up, but it's like mm-hmm. later they're just like, why did I leave so early? Yeah. It's I, I think a big part of it is feedback and uh,
1: yeah. And knowing if, who to trust you, to give you the good feedback.
0: And it's like uh, Nipsey Hustle's wife told him, Uh, at the funeral talk she said he had a quote if you stay ready you don't have to get ready so it's like if you stay in the market and you're always touching the market um, you
1: don't have that kind of activation energy that obstacle of kind of barrier to entry stuff yeah that's true
0: there's no a sub e on this one it is gone (laughs) and then you're just able to take in when I I met Gary Vaynerchuk one time and for like a minute I asked him I was like is what you do kind of like evolution where you're always touching the market my question kind of confused him but he's like he just said it's kind of like your gut instinct but i noticed that anybody who's always touching the market in some way whether it's in money or my friend who does fishing or whatever market it is if you're always touching it and you know that thing you're untouchable the minute you start letting go but then you hope it'll just uh, you'll make the right decisions mm-hmm. you're gonna err because you don't have the right information yeah there boy good themes mary this has been super i you know, from my perspective, wonderful. And then when I think it's wonderful, that means it passes on to the (laughs) listeners too. Very glad to have had you on this discussion about this fully completed book by Mary Childs called The Bond King that she wrote. As you can see right there, (laughs) screen is full of Bond
1: King. That's right. Full Bond King. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. No
0: shortage of it. Very glad to speak with you. Uh, Very enjoyable I'll just add in some personality quality, self-awareness, light nature, uh, great um, communicative ability, even using the word communicative, which I use sometimes (laughs) and nobody else uses. Underrated word. It's a good
1: word. Yeah.
0: We need to give it to more people. They're like, we're talking or dialogue. Communicative. Throw in communicative. Yes. I'm very glad I've had you on and uh, shared this discussion
1: with you. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It
0: has been a delight. And we are out.